So old business, uh, we're going to uh, be adding, or I think we're, we're talking currently about adding some Dow liquidity to the ghost elk pairs, uh, but this would not be dipping into the glitter rewards, right? Um, this is something we touched on uh, briefly yesterday, uh, where we could talk as a Dow how much ghost we would be comfortable LPing. And, you know, we have a lot of ghost in there, but it doesn't have to necessarily be a large amount. I think uh, in the Dow discussions there, it seems like uh, 30,000 ghosts was brought up. Um, but I know, Dan, I think you had commented and said that 30,000 could be a little low based on what we already have. So we could allocate a little bit more to that um, if we felt comfortable as a Dow to do that. So... Um, I think it's good to add some liquidity for those pools. Uh, it shows the project has strength. I know you made some good points yesterday around that. So uh, if anybody has anybody anything to say on uh, what they think of adding Dow liquidity to the ghost ALK pairs. Uh, I see Hardcore you're saying Wagman suggested 30K, 30 and 50K is the options. Okay. I think the number of 75K was also uh, talked about yesterday. Seventy-five k USD. Okay, gotcha. Okay, I mean, how does everyone feel about that? Um, with the uh, liquidity for the actual pools, it doesn't affect our rewards in any way. Total liquidity is about one six point six k or so currently. Dang. million okay so to make a significant impact then do you guys think we would have to add more liquidity than what's being proposed 75k you know adding 75k to 1.6 mil like is that gonna have a hey friends i finally found a network that looks good so hopefully everything's smooth <laughs> I can hear you. Cool. Yeah, I know, Igor. I have Echo. It's terrible. I don't know what to do about it. I've tried leaving the stage and coming back. I could restart my... I think they're, they're saying uh, 75K per pair. Per and pair. The total, per pair, yeah. And the total liquidity is... There's like most of the, the four Alchemica have 300K each. And uh, Ghost Glitter has 500K worth of liquidity total. Okay. I'm just trying to think in percentage terms. What percentage of increase is this going to be for the pool? If we go with the 75K USD per option, you know, in, in percentage terms, do we know? It'd be about a 25% increase. Uh, so 300K 
up to three uh, 375k. I, I mean, it would be 20 per, it would be 25% of the current pool. Oh yeah, okay. Um, and that's before that's before we get more people coming into the glitter LPs, right? Because that'll deepen the liquidity for the for the actual individuals' pools, right? As we get more people coming in for staking, like LP staking. Well, it wouldn't affect that. That's that's gonna no. happen no matter what. Yeah. Because we're not the DAO is not planning to stake for glitter rewards. Oh no, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, you know, adding this, uh, you know, this uh, liquidity here plus, we're gonna hopefully getting more people coming over to stake for glitter, which will add more liquidity mm -hmm. to those pools, right? Yeah, I would say the two are, are not necessarily like intimately connected. Okay. Like it's not going to lead. Adding more liquidity uh, makes the pools a little bit more attractive for if someone wants to like make a big uh, buy and have lower slippage. But it wouldn't necessarily lead to like more interest in staking. Yeah. Like just by itself. Yeah. Um, you did make a point yesterday just that it might, you know, uh, look good in terms of um i think you're saying make the project look really good with lots of liquidity available for people to buy large amounts if they if they want i guess yeah i mean it never never hurts that's one of the yeah. first things that people look at when they're like looking at uh, a new project so i mean in the chat there what do you guys think 75k um per per pair like what is does that sound good to you guys we have a lot of funds in the dow right we have like what five million ghosts or something like that um and then alchemica too we have a ton of alchemica um i think yeah let's look let's look here let's look at the proposals i don't think there's an official Proposal made for that yet. Yeah, it's just a it's a discussion at the moment. Uh, Dr. Wagme's proposal was 30,000 ghosts. So that would be. Um, per per pair. Definitely check out that thread and provide your feedback uh, if if you have some insight there. Seventy eight k. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll talk to Wagme and see um, if he wants to make a proposal, an official sig prop around that. And then we can have some actionable thing we can do with that. Get the liquidity moved into those pools. If there are no crazy um, concerns someone might have about that. Uh, but you can definitely voice your concerns in that in that thread there. Yeah, I like Nestor's numbers. 69K. I like that. Um, okay, so that that's part of the old business there. We're talking about ghost out pairs, adding some liquidity. It sounds like people are on board 
Um, oh, Igor, question. Uh, does the Dow have Alchemica and Glitter in the treasury? They have, uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, Alchemica, lots, lots of ghosts, no glitter. Yeah, I, th I agree with Mikey J also. There'll be very few objections if staking's not involved. It's not going to impact rewards in any way. We reiterate that. So reiterate that in the SIG prop as well. And uh, maybe we can do something actionable on that. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't see any major objections to that. So, uh, so moving on, uh, we briefly uh, have been talking about, uh, well, not briefly, but we have been talking about setting the limits on the number of gachis allowed per address. This has been flipped back to unlimited for now, um, but there is an ongoing discussion around uh, um, potentially uh, limiting it in there's a couple of different suggestions there. Um, what do people think uh, what do people think of uh, going back to one of the other suggestions and why would we want to go back to the other suggestions? Here are the voting options. You could have had, um, you could have set the limit on the number of gachis each address can borrow from the open market uh, equal to the number of parcels plus one. Um, you could revert back to the original unlimited system and do nothing further, allowing unlimited numbers of board gachis per address. Um, that's kind of where we are right now. Uh, we've reverted back. Uh, we could have reverted back and left the leave the open rental market to allow unlimited gachis to be borrowed, but the set, set the default to one on all whitelists and implement the ability for whitelist creators to change the limit per wallet. So you'd be able to change how many gachis can be held per wallet. Um, and that way, maybe that gives the whitelist owner a little bit more uh, control over that whole um, idea around people grabbing 50 gachis, 30 gachis, and not really uh, using them actively and tying up uh, rentals that could potentially be uh, picked up by someone else that's going to be channeling with them. But um, that's that's something that was going on for a while. Uh, are people still seeing a lot of that happening? Um, kind of curious to know. There was also an idea of per parcel. So how many parcels you have, that's how many um, gachis you'd be allowed to borrow. So I have 14 parcels. I'd be able to borrow 14 gachis. Can you guys hear me now or no? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I'm on. For some reason, like phone is much better for Discord than than being on the laptop. I think so. Hopefully, uh, it's smoother. So I'm trying yeah, everything oh, yeah. here. Oh yeah, no, it's good. All right, I'm I'm hearing you. Yeah. Cool. Um, what's your take on uh, setting setting limits? I mean, we're we've reverted back now to uh, unlimited, but uh, the I think the underlying issue with this is. Uh, tying up more gachis in a wallet than are actually being utilized. Um, and potentially, potentially, we don't know this 100%, but maybe a malicious, some people being malicious with it and tying up gachis so other people can't rent them. 
um but i i'm not really sure about that one uh just i've heard it being uh talked about but what, what's your take oh, on it yeah my take is i mean theoretically there's no difference for a botter and it's 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 like a little bit extra effort for them to basically have to manage a bunch of other like child wallets for the botting process whereas with right now with unlimited they can just set their script and it can go all day and it can like pick up as many gotchas as they need for whatever they're trying to do uh with the new way uh they have to have a bunch of like addresses that they use for that purpose and uh something that they're pretty i think they're fairly used to doing as we've seen with with the gotcha verse uh, so i wouldn't say there's a huge difference between the two and uh we've haven't really seen uh it, it's very hard to tell like what like which wallets are a bot and which ones are not a bot without doing on-chain analysis of each one that's just not something we have been having like bandwidth to do right now so if, if the community wants to help out with that process that would that would be great um but theoretically speaking there's no huge difference for like a botter versus for having like the unlimited um way and the one address one gotcha per address way but that's different that's in there's been a lot of more anecdotal evidence of the difference. That's what I'm kind of also interested in hearing from, from people is, does it, is there a difference in how many gotchis you can uh, lend out with the unlimited versus the limited uh, way? talking uh sorry i've been trying um i'm not really sure what's going on here uh but now i'm not echoing but your your voice is echoing over itself so it's interesting um this was happening the other day there was nothing i could do about it so i'm just gonna try and uh i'm just gonna cope with that um yeah. gm friends oh. gm <laughs> Uh, I want to answer, I guess, the question in terms of um, borrowers, just anecdotally, um, I've had more clients come to me that say like near the end of the reset, like right before the reset, prior to the reversion back in the rule that would say um, that their gotchis weren't getting rented. So they would just whitelist me because they weren't able to get them out. This is once again, just anecdotally, just here and there, I was hearing that. But overwhelmingly, from most of my small friends in the community, they said they liked the change because they were actually able to get gotchis at the reset. And the, it was, the change was live for how many days, like four or five days. So if the botters wanted to uh, update their script, they probably had time to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the change, like I said before, it wasn't like, it's just a timing kind of thing that affected it. If we did, if we were to do it, like, parcels plus one or even 10 it would make a huge difference for like you know very niche use case players like me and maybe zico i don't know how ragnar is doing it but i guess he, he all of his uh, rentals are, are um whitelist at this point but anything yeah. helps 
if we if we go back to the reverted rule, I mean to the uh, the changed rule, and that helps the little player, that works for me. I'll figure out a way. Yeah, the Michaelium's asking, what's the best way to get? You cut out there, Dan. Last bit. You can uh, run those and get and do a script with that. Oh, oh. man. You, you guys just keep going then. Cyber Dan is back. Fucking Discord. Rug. Getting rugged today. But that's okay. Uh, I think you guys can still hear me, right? Yeah, you're coming in loud and clear. Uh, Coder Dan got cut off there a little bit. He can uh, stay persistent, sir. You'll find a way. Um, okay, so with this, with this uh, setting limits on the number of borrowed gotchis, no future. Your take is it would it would be an inconvenience to you, but also you see the the other side of it, where uh, a lot of other asset owners were finding it easier to get gotchis around reset. Is that Kind of what you were just saying. Yeah, like uh, just for context, because like the numbers get all flimsy sometimes when I'm thinking about it. At this point, I have a hundred gotchis that are on my whitelist. So when it affects my rentals, like when I say I have 150 gotchis, it's not that I rented 150 gotchis. It only affect those last rentals, which basically affect basically at the point of the reset. I can still channel all day because there are gotchis all available. I just like this morning I woke up at 5 a.m. and I borrowed like 15, 20 gotchis. Um, that would expire right after the reset. They were just up. Some of them were 0.1 rentals that would pay like 1.6 ghost if you channel on a level two. Those kind of rentals will um will go away uh, in the sense that uh, I wouldn't be able to grab a whole bunch of them in my front. But like once again, this only really affects me. So it's not like a whole rule change shouldn't be like, you know, if it's better for the little player, then that's what we need to think about ultimately for the health of the game. Does this increase the available supply of gotchis in general that are available for renting? I think it does, right? By setting a limit. I don't know if it increases the supply because I, I was talking to Liz Lele about this. And if you go on Adventure.io when it's working, um, there are like hundreds of listings that are just not profitable gotchis. So there are a ton of tons of listings. There's just not a ton that are profitable. And then the ones that are profitable um, – if they're like really profitable, the bots will snag all of them at once, especially on those turn of hours. Like if you look at every turn of hour, that's an even number of hours away from the reset. So we're talking 12 hours before the reset, 10, 8, 6, 4, 2, and even on one, but generally on those even number turn of hours, if you look at Adventure.io right at the turn of the hour, you're going to see that there's like 50 listings that are like 0.1 that'll expire right at the turn. So um, those listings kind of lose their, I guess whoever lists like that loses their ability to list like that. And then the people who want to uh, grab those listings can't grab them in advance. That's really the only difference. Yeah, see, drilling down, I'm, I'm trying to look for where like the problem is, right? I'm looking at what Mikey G is also seeing. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a really uh, obvious uh, kind of, issue with the with the way it is right now because like you said a lot of those rentals based on the current al alchemica prices are not profitable so 
people are choosing to not play the market, I guess, and try and get these gotchis out, um, rented out um, for for what seems like a, an appealing price, you know, an appealing uh, profit. So I don't know. Um, do you think the market could potentially correct itself over time? Just these people will have to eventually list it so people do rent their gotchis, right? Or the, or else they just sit there. Or the Alchemica price um, appreciates in a way that's favorable to those rentals. Yeah, see, the way I like to think about it, like when I was looking at the market, like yesterday is a good example. I know that um, Adventure.io went, you know, there was issues with the subgraph, but I had been helping somebody move all day. And like right before the reset, like I had my laptop out. We were in a drive through line at Burger King, 10 minutes before the reset. And I went in and there were like 100 rentals that were 0.3 ghosts that if you channeled on a level two, you would receive 100% profit off of that channel. And they were just sitting there. So, you know, I start grabbing them. I grabbed like in 10 minutes, I grabbed like 30 or 40 of them. This, uh, I wonder like, cause a lot of those rentals, like if you look at the rentals, like those point ones, what most people are doing is they're filtering for right at the reset. They want to grab a gachi and channel right now. If you were to turn off the filters for when, uh, like if a gachi is profitable or the duration is like, Oh, this gachi is channelable now, or like within the period of its, um, rental, you can see that are there are, players who list these point one rentals like hours in advance. And then once it hits that time where it's going to be 10 hours away from the reset, it can go in, it can go in and like add a lot of, um, you know, you'll get a whole bunch of like profitable channels. If you're watching adventure IO at that point. Um, I, I wonder though, like the number of players, cause like I said, anecdotally, a lot of small players were like at the reset, I can now get a gachi, which is great. But that just tells me that they're all front running the same strategy of trying to rent a gachi at the reset, which is the worst strategy in the game. If everyone is front running and trying to do that. So I, I don't, I think it's worked from what I've heard. From, like I've, I've had a lot of people DM me that are little players and they're like, yo friend, this is working. This is working. And I appreciate the feedback because you know, that's how we build things better. Um, I don't know though if it's really like, are there more rentals now available? Is it that like, because I know renters were also like, if you did a long term rental while we were in that change, I was messing up all the long term rentals. If your long term rental costs two ghosts and in six, you know, rents, it pays like three ghosts. If I can channel, get my profit and cover the cost, like in one, you know, for some of these, it was like, you know, a 0.5 ghost, you channel twice and you get, um, you know, a profit of 0.75. So I would just channel once and send it back to you because I can't hold on to it long enough. So it just affected the way I rented and I guess affected the way people handled the rental market. I don't know if there's a, I don't know how we can ob observe evidence though to show, like, is there a way to see how long a player is in the gachi verse when they, when they channel, um, I guess like even botters have to go into the gachiverse. You can't just use a interact with the smart contract to get your UBI. So it's really hard to see, you know, ugh, like what's the the ideal thing. But I was talking to a friend who's a gamer, like outside of this, and he was just confirming yesterday. He's like, "You're fighting an endless war. You're going to be fighting a war against bots forever because they're just going to keep evolving. This is a tale as old as Web two." That is so true you know um that's it's always been an ongoing war the only difference here is there's real money involved and that's the only that's the only difference um i think that's why we get the level of engagement we get a lot of the time with these sorts of things uh, you know traditional web 2 games had botting but i think a lot of times uh sometimes it got overlooked because it didn't really affect anyone's bags it just 
made just a poor, like, you know, just a crappier gameplay experience. I totally yeah, agree I, with that. I will say something, though, because uh, Dan makes a good point. He says, yep, the only way to really make botters hurt would be to reduce the base from one to zero. So they would have to at least own land. But that's not necessarily the best solution either. So I did talk with some people last week, and we mentioned it during one of my streams that the humble prices were pumping while um, reasonables kind of stood still. And I was like, I think this is the botters adjusting because – if they have land, they can at least get in. And, you know, like if we, we were leaning towards, you know, talking about land plus one or number of gotchis that you can get for uh, to channel based on your land. So I was I wonder if some of that pump in the like the minor pump, the volume that we saw in the humbles was due to, um, you know, botters buying land because that's that was going to be the only way they can really play the game. Interview or thousand. Well, I guarantee that's a way to have gameplay, and if you mess up the rules of bot killing, then uh, you're eliminated from uh, the squad. I love that you have ethics already developing for murdering bots. <laughs> there's a whole we system have, developing. There's going to well, be a, a bot um, humanitarian task force or something eventually in the DAO. We're going to have to vote on it. Like, how are we treating liquidators? Is this the right now way? That, now that you can talk in the verse, I mean, I can just come up to you, and if you can't talk to me regularly, if I ask you a question, then I'm going to execute you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hefe, I know Coder Dan is off the stage. You guys actually have a mural board and a whole, yeah. like, you know, agenda. So I don't want to pull us too far into this. So uh, yeah. I'm going to step down. If anybody has to raise their hand, just uh, ping me and I can bring you up. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, so that that's old business stuff right there. Uh, please uh, comment on it. Check out the thread. Give your opinions. Um, I'm not a huge – well, I guess it does affect me. So – I'll probably look at that again and, and provide my feedback, but uh, definitely consider uh, some of the other limitation options because there is there does seem to be some anecdotal evidence from our friends saying that things are actually improving with that little uh, trial run that we did. So definitely consider that, and uh, we can revisit that if people want. So, and then Coder Dan, I see you put that up. Work in progress. We're also thinking of naming conventions around the whole console cartridge model. Uh, if you think there's some better naming convention that would be more uh, uh, user-friendly or more appealing or, you know, uh, appeal to the concept of what we're trying to do with that uh, better, definitely hop in and provide your uh, insights with uh, better naming conventions if you think there is uh, in terms of a pass or whatever, whatever you might be thinking of. So um new business uh, i see there's some new business stuff in here i'll i'll go through and address it uh we also have a special guest uh we have just we fatigue i guess uh, we'll give you some time there on 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 stage if you'd like and you can uh run through kind of what you're doing uh but the first three things here we'll look at with new business i guess someone had posted a 
someone had posted a, a sig prop without any discussion thread and so uh, you know try and take another run at it uh, create an idea in the forum get some discussion around it and uh, if it gets some traction we get peeps talking about it we'll bring it up here on stage and we'll run through your idea there and that was the change to level eight and level nine alters. Uh, to be honest, I I didn't read it, but uh, if you can start a discussion thread on it, we can we can start having a conversation around that. Uh, how to throw a curveball? Uh, I see. You know, I want to get Dan's sentiment on this. If you are able to speak on it, uh, you know, feel free to speak on it. This is just a post uh, Moon had put up as an idea, so just something to. Uh, to think about and provide feedback on nothing uh, actionable on that in any way, but just an interesting uh, post. Uh, definitely go look at that. Uh, it, the post is called turning off the ghost bonding curve. Very uh, probably controversial, uh, but you know, go read it. It's a quite a deep uh, lengthy post. And then I think we should uh, get some more discussion around it before we again, you know, bring that up and actually start debating it. But really interesting post. Um, if Coder Dan, you have seen that post with uh, turning off the bonding curve, uh, if you want to provide your uh, any insight on it, uh, you feel free to do that. I don't know. I think yeah. If you're able uh, to, I'm here. I'm just uh, trying to speak. And yeah, I don't I have any. You. Yeah, it's gonna go in and out. Uh, I don't have any comments at the moment, but uh, I'll be watching the discussion for sure, and uh, I'll chime in in the DAO discussion forum if, uh, if there's anything specific to to go over. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think that's the right idea there, so uh, definitely go participate, give your feedback on that. Uh, there's a hackathon going on right now. Uh, we can touch on that near the end as well. We got just three fatigue in the audience. Uh, do you want to come up and spend maybe five minutes or so and explain kind of what you're doing? A little, little pitch. It's up to you, friend. I can definitely let you up. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? GM. Thanks for having me up here. Uh, it might not be that useful with Dan being un unable to speak, but um, yeah, I was just uh, hoping to ask some questions from the perspective of a new dev in the space about the new SDK that's being developed. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I can fire away. I don't know if you, you can fire, fire away, sir. The, the stage is yours here. Um, so I thought I'd just touch on what I understand an SDK to, to be from my like game developing experience. Um, so I understand it to be like an environment where you can access the tools or similar tools that were made, that were used to make the product you're using. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I think the way, Dan, uh, the way Dan explained the SDK was it would allow for scripting. And I think that would be done in probably TypeScript. Uh, on your parcel, so you'd be able to run scripts on objects, or I think you even mentioned creating objects uh, on your parcel. That's going to be like level one of the SDK, but I think the later implementations are also going to include the 
MPC dApps and all the other uh, features of the SDK will come uh, with like subsequent updates. Cool. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of touches on whether this is going to be something that requires someone to write code or whether it's more like a modular package that you can kind of assemble to create uh, contract experiences. Yeah, I think I think V1 is going to be very much uh, you're going to need some scripting um, skills, abilities. Yeah. yeah, And then, you know, subsequent variations. Uh, the move, hopefully, is to go to a more modular style where you don't need very much, if any, coding experience to put things to, to play with elements on your parcel or, or integrate elements. OK, so you mentioned TypeScript. So does that mean you uh, I guess, is there going to be solidity, solidity um, integration into like uh, Gotchiverse NPCs where it's uh, outside contracts or using the uh, project's contract? Uh, that's a good question, uh, Coder Dan. Uh, I'm not sure on that on that one there. Uh, Coder Dan has stated uh, the SDK will have in-game scripting features and JS yeah. components you can link with on-chain and off-chain data. Mm. And then there won't be much of a GUI, like you said. Like I said, you'll have to have some scripting experience. Yeah. Uh, but if you have a yeah, if you have a scripting GUI, that would be cool. Um, yeah, it's hearing a laser buzzwords like the new UI 2.0, and I was wondering where it was related. <laughs> yeah. And then he does say, he did follow up on your, your question, Solidity would be used if you want to write a smart contract, but otherwise it'll be mostly uh, JS and TypeScript. Oh, nice. So fairly easy to get into. Um, so like, for example, my web app at the moment, it doesn't write or it doesn't have any sort of contract behind it. So um, that sounds like an easy stepping stone. <laughs> Not really having to learn solidity as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, go ahead. So maybe you can get into kind of what you're working on, and uh, I know you, uh, if if you would like to, uh, and then yeah. if you have any other questions regarding uh, how the DAO could maybe help your project or whatever you need, really. Mm, um. Well, I did. I did just want to have like one last question about the SDK and oh, whether NPCs and Nagotchiverse might be able to facilitate having a phaser-free game engine window tied to parcels that could open oh, up. Interesting. That could open up, um, like the ecosystem mini games, which could become like a a uh, arcade district now that you visit and play games at. <laughs> I was wondering if this is like a stepping stone to um, quite unique user experiences. I'm I'm liking all your ideas. I definitely think it would lead to unique um, user experiences. Uh, you know, Coder dancing external links are tricky. Uh, but there, there'll be some level of support for external links. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll cover a bit about what I've been doing with uh, Gotchi Dash. Trying to keep it free, access for everyone, a hub for 
ecosystem links, um, uh, your all of your assets pulled in and prices and your harvest data, or they don't rely on it right now because it's bugged. Um, oh God, I, I'm trying to include everything that people kind of require on a daily basis on one page, but <laughs> I'm forgetting a lot and missing a lot. Um, there are no tickets at the moment. I prioritize harvest data. Um, I'm hoping to keep it free forever and include guild ads soon or ecosystem ads of any kind. And hopefully writing a contract to handle that so people can just queue them and I can approve them or send them away again. That's very um, cool. I, I know we yeah. talked about this for a little while uh, in the DMs yeah. and uh, you're you're trying to make something a little bit different, it seems like, compared to what's out there. I mean, you know, we do have uh, quite a few, we have a few dashboards now um, that provide uh, data analytics and that sort of thing. But it seems like you're trying to do something a bit different in terms of being more of like the, uh, I think the way you described it was like an agnostic hub. For, well, um, I think that's the way you described it. So. Oh, maybe, yeah, okay. maybe it was. <laughs> yeah, 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 I stole that from that's you. The way it kind of seems like what you're doing there with the, you know, it's not really built towards any one specific purpose. You're just tying everything into your your uh, UI, right? Yeah, and I think um, a lot of the apps out there at the moment are being built primarily towards guilds and. Uh, I guess more hardcore users, whereas someone just getting into the gotchi verse doesn't really have like a page they can hang out on to um, feel comfortable in and access everything from. Yeah, just trying to. Uh, I think someone actually said uh, after looking at all of their assets in one place, it actually made them want to ape into the project more. <laughs> oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, and if you guys are on the mirror board there, actually, can you drop a link to Gachi? I guess it's just oh, gachi-dash.com, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Although that didn't hyperlink. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Yeah. So check that out. Uh, I like I like the layout of it. It's, uh, it's quite nice. But uh, it is slightly broken until the graph is fixed. Uh, what level of coding experience do you have? Now. Are you are you like a coder by day or like a programmer by day? Or? you have this is a um, no um i'm unemployed and i started learning how to uh code typescript about like five or six months ago now uh trying to make a mini game initially which i soon gave up on um and then just started pretty much working on gotchi dash every day released it maybe a month ago and it's had some pretty positive responses so thanks everyone um yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. just a little bit <laughs> no uh, future. <laughs> we all belong to the club my friend um so awesome that's awesome that you're doing that yeah. and uh really cool to see other coders uh you know other programmers taking this up uh on their own and, and building tools for a community yeah, yeah and hopefully it just becomes more and more accessible and it sounds like it is which is sick like there's already so many apps in the background that keep popping up on my Twitter feed that I've just never even heard of before, but they're just already so well developed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know a lot of great tools, but uh, I appreciate your uh, effort here, sir. Um, if there's anything, me up. 
Of course, if there's any way that Dow can uh, to help can help you, or if you need something specific from us, uh, you know, always feel free to ask. So, um, yeah, you can get around to accepting my funding bit if you like. Yeah. <laughs> Have you submitted a proposal to the DTF? Have you submitted a proposal to the DTF? Uh, yeah, 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 I have, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a but great I, start. I think everything's been pretty busy. I've seen uh, Wagmeet put out some pretty hardcore uh, snapshot posts recently. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate cheers. you up here. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Au revoir. Uh, all right. And so we. So that was just sweet fatigue community builder uh i know mikey jay's in the audience i knew you wanted it a couple minutes sir uh, we were talking about, pro about proxy voting last week uh and we have some new new business that we could talk about if you guys are up to it but i'd like to see uh uh if, if i can get mikey jay up here on stage uh, we can touch on proxy voting from last week i'll get you up here hey hey gm gm GM, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me up. I know this was discussed um, a lot last week, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there live. I did listen to the uh, recording, um, and uh, I had some new thoughts on this week that I posted that I just kind of wanted to bring up and kind of re, you know, maybe try and reframe the conversation a little bit. Um, you know, so initially, I sort of brought up this idea um, almost two months ago now. Um, that, you know, I was getting a little bit concerned just seeing the way that, to me, it seemed there was sort of a concentration of voting power that was taking place that maybe is not an issue today. Um, but, you know, in the future um, could show how, um, you know, such a concentration of voting power could be used in a negative way in the future, um, you know, in something like a civil attack or in some other scenario. So, um you know, I was listening to the conversation from last week and it it really, you know, started to dawn on me that initially, you know, my thought was, hey, like delegation is not necessarily a positive thing. You know, we if we naturally there's there's a way for the protocol to distribute assets in a in a way that's not concentrated. And if voting power just, you know, as accurately and purely reflects asset ownership as possible, we really wouldn't have any issue. Um, with voting power concentration. And that was kind of my initial thought. Um, but the more I thought about it, it just seems that when you start to think about the implementation of how to sort of, you know, in a way, ban proxy voting or ban delegation, um, when you start to break down the details, um, it's just not really, it doesn't really seem feasible to do. Uh, and I think the, the big issue is that uh, you know, when someone, you know, deposits an asset in a smart contract, of course, we can look at the, you know, an example like the vault, and it's, it's relatively straightforward. I think everyone can kind of agree on who owns the asset. Um, however, I think if we imagine all the future use cases for putting assets in smart contracts, um, there's just too many things for us to kind of imagine uh, and for the, for the DAO to decide you know, who is the owner of that asset in the contract? And kind of the conclusion I sort of came to this week was, you know, the blockchain already does that for us. You know, the, if, if uh, once, once an asset's in a smart contract, uh, it's essentially, you know, owned for all intents and purposes by the whoever holds the keys for that smart contract, right? Um, and uh, while the, the person who put it in there may not see it that way, 
for an external party, that's really the only fair conclusion you can come to. Uh, you can imagine a number of use cases where the owner of the asset, while it's in the smart contract, may not be entirely clear. And as far as I can see, it's not really up to the DAO to try and suss out, you know, who a quote unquote true owner is. So, you know, I think um, all that sort of led me to this conclusion that basically, if you really can't fairly and reasonably prevent or ban kind of delegation, then to me, then the flip side is, well, how can we open up delegation and how can we open up proxy voting and make it accessible to everyone? Um, including um, the including the protocols that build on top of Avagachi. So right now, for example, today, if I want to build you know something that's custodial um, for asset owners to deposit assets into, I really don't have a good option to give voting power back to those um, back to those individuals. You know, probably what anyone would do was exactly you know kind of what the vault did. Um, you know, you could think of maybe some ways you could make it a little different, but um, you know, my thinking is is okay. Let's let's start from a play. What if we were to start from an assumption that uh, proxy voting delegation is uh, something that we is simply unavoidable? So then, my next question would be, you know, how do we make it something that is flexible and accessible to everyone? And I, Hefe, I think it was you. I can't. I I thought it was you who just very mentioned in passing an idea about sort of tokenized uh, voting, almost like governance tokens issued on a per vote basis, and that you would basically then receive those tokens. And then, you know, you could either transfer them to somebody else or vote with them yourself in that vote. And that that when I heard that, that kind of perked my ears up, because it seems like a system like that could solve a number of problems. You know, one problem is, if you pull vote voting power, you know, right now in the vault vote, I'm sorry to just bring it back to the vault, but it's the only example we have right now. But like, as an example, when the vault votes, they, they can sort of split their vote, but they can't really split their vote very flexibly. They can't say, okay, we're going to go 67% towards this and 33% towards this because that's how our asset owners voted or anything like that. Um, so the ability to be able to split among multiple choices in sort of a ranked choice Voting option is interesting to me, and also just the ability to then subdivide up voting power and distribute it to either um, you know a group of people is interesting as well. So if someone say wanted to start a vault competitor and do voting a little differently, they could say um, you know receive that voting power and then distribute that voting power directly back to the asset owners. You know so. Um, that's just an example. You know, it's like, how do we give protocols to build on top of Avagachi the tools and flexibility to be able to um, use voting power in more creative ways than they can today? And by doing so, we might create an environment of uh, more competition, um, which could lead to um, just uh, voting power being, you know, exercised in, in ways that is maybe a little bit more in the spirit of asset ownership in the future. Um, so that was, that was kind of my thought. And I was just hoping to meet that maybe in the coming days, you know, if, if anyone has ideas about, you know, that type of token, you know, per vote or some system like that, that might, you know, provide a voting system that where the votes can be, you know, subdivided and transferred as easily as a token could be. Um, that could be something that I think could be interesting. So I was hoping to maybe hear if anyone had any ideas about how something like that might work or, uh, what the technical hurdles might be and and whether that might be a direction we could, you know, uh, think about.
I was going to say, I've been, um, I was thinking about the voting power and proxy stuff uh, over the past week. And I, I kind of reached a similar thought on what you're saying in that, like, if we open delegation up to everyone, make it easy for anyone to get, delegate their vote, then this issue might not be as big of an issue because then Gachi gang might just move their delegation away from the Gachi vault and into something else. You know. Also, there are some uh, non-custodial services coming up that will allow you to do a lot of what the Gachi vault's doing without having to deposit your uh, assets into a smart contract. So this leads to my like follow-up question for you, Mikey J. If we're using a smart contract and the smart contract is the set lending operator, Voting power does not transfer to the uh, contract because it's non-custodial. Would you, and you were saying earlier, if you were looking at that smart contract, you know, outsider, they would say, oh, this person owns those assets. If we know that the smart contract actually isn't taking custody, would we view that, co that contract the same way since it doesn't have the voting power and, and delegation, I guess? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that with, in that case, I mean, we have the advantage of, you know, protocol level things like lending operator and pet operator um, that are accessible. But eventually, you know, you're going to have use cases where there's going to be no way around providing um, where, where there's going to be, you're not always going to be able to do everything in a non-custodial way. You know, another thing you might think about is like um, contracts where someone's providing uh, collateral, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a lending protocol where you can provide your gotcha as collateral. Um, you know, this is kind of what I'm getting into is like, okay, now we have to figure out who's the owner of that, of that collateral while it's in progress, you know, is that maybe the lending protocol uses that collateral to earn yield for the protocol while it's being used as collateral, you know, so like, okay, so who owns it at that moment? You know, that's kind of the tricky thing. But um, so I, there, you know, it definitely as many things we can have at the protocol level, you know, like the way we have gotcha lending at the protocol level, lending operator, pet operator, the more of those things we can have at the protocol level, of course, that don't doesn't require, um, you know, custody of assets. But I think inevitably we're going to run into assets getting deposited in smart contracts for, for one reason or another. Yeah, I mean, my idea, it seemed to me like, you know, based on all the conversations we've been having, a potential solution could be, you know, to completely separate uh, custodial ownership of the asset and the actual voting power the owner of the wallet with the assets has. Uh, yeah, the thing is, though, is if we were to do that, would it be a, you know, would it be a token? Because, like, do you want to accrue, do you want to allot value to that uh, voting power? And that would, I mean, that would make things interesting if you could, but even if they were used as an off-chain uh, or an on-chain metric like friends, but not necessarily a token, uh, you would be able to transfer your voting power, you know, delegate it to your guild, um, dedicate it to a gachi gang member who, you know, aligns with your values and you're okay with them voting on your behalf. Um, I think I think it just shows, it, it, it gives people a little bit more flexibility with how they're allotting their voting power and makes delegation more of an open, open, um, Thing where anybody anybody can delegate to any other entity with within the Gachiverse. Um, yeah. It seems like uh, I was just going to touch on district DAOs and sub DAOs. It seems like this would be kind of a natural evolution to you know allow flexibility for those things to to work when they when they get implemented. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I and I you know you just kind of touched on this a little bit. And I see some people commenting about like. Look, I think the think the kind of the the 
it 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 feels a little dirty because it feels a little bit like um making voting power so easily uh, transferable is kind of, in a way kind of monetizing it in a way you're starting to create like governance legos you know instead of you know you talk about like defi legos here you're almost talking about composable governance and you could argue whether or not that's a good thing and personally i actually would prefer to be in a world where that that wasn't happening but i think the truth is is that it can already happen in the current system um you know like i had also wrote an example on the in the dow thread what if i create a service you know where i'm i'm emptying your reservoirs every day or channeling your gotchas and there's no there's no fee but the fee is basically i control your voting power you know so in a way i can already buy your voting power in some way um so it, you know it in a way it kind of makes me feel dirty because it's like okay do we really want voting power to be so easily transferable that you could essentially create a you could create liquidity for you know voting on a particular topic you know and you know, maybe people don't like that idea, and I don't particularly love the idea, but the truth is, and in a roundabout way, it, it can already happen today. So in a, way, in a way, I'd rather have it be, I'd rather, I'd rather have protocols who build on top of Avogadji give them more flexibility on how to handle the voting power so that at least you can create a market where um, there's a variety of options for um, asset owners to, to choose from. And um, you can let the market sort out how they value their voting power. And, you know, you hope the market would kind of gravitate towards using pro protocols that that um, that treated their their voting power in, in a way that the market prefers. Um, I would love to. Oh, go oh, sorry. Ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, no, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to mention what Hardcore was saying. He's, you know, saying VP shouldn't be tokenized. You can delegate, but not permanently. Uh, I think what he means there is, you know, uh, the token is in question wouldn't be like an ERC-20, um, but it would still have to represent those assets that owner has. So I wouldn't be able to take my, you know, let's say I have 5,000 ghosts worth of voting power. I wouldn't be able to just sell all that away to someone else as a token and not have now representation of my assets. There would still be voting power tied to those assets. Couldn't you theoretically, though, rent out the, the voting power like Mikey J say? Like if it is tokenized and I have 10K ghost voting power and a player wants to, you know, borrow that token for a few days, someone that I trust and I send it to them, uh, there could be a rental market. The other thing is the token idea, I could see, um, I kind of like it for one, one it might be something that we can work towards that will help a lot of players. Because we've recently pushed, um, you know, the security thing where, hey, get a hardware wallet, move your, your assets away from the hot wallet. Um, but if you want to vote, you got to break out the ledger. I prefer to keep the ledger in a safe and never touch it. So if there's a way that I could delegate my voting power to my main hot wallet that I use when I'm in the gachi version, so I don't have to break out the ledger, that would be amazing. But it's also like a trivial little thing, uh, you, know, you know, wasting dev time on that where I could just plug in a ledger might not be worthwhile. One, Just, one idea. The, sorry, go ahead. I think the, the original thought was with uh, subdows and having and capturing voting on chain. And so the idea I had was for subdows. So if there were, uh, this idea was taken from an existing DAO, I forget the name of the DAO, that they, to do on chain snapshots, they did this uh, tokenized per vote idea. And for subdows, 
for the district, it kind of makes sense. If the result of the vote is going to have an on-chain result. Um, so I don't know about existing Dallas uh, votes that use the snapshot, but it's thinking more uh, on the migration of sub-Dallas and doing all on-chain. So there would have to be a way of capturing the snapshot on-chain if we want on-chain results. And so this tokenization per vote is just one strategy. Did that, did that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, I think that was that's maybe the point that some of the people in the chat have have latched onto and others haven't, which is that this would be basically I the way and look, I don't know. I really haven't aside from hearing have I talked about, it, I haven't really thought, you know, through all the details that this is why I want to have this conversation. But um the way I imagine it would work is, you know, a vote a, let's say a, a prop is created. You would go and you would claim your, you know, a snapshot would be taken, I guess, when the prop is created, you know, calculating everyone's voting power based on the wallet address. And then you would go and you would claim your voting tokens for that prop. And at that point, I guess you can burn them and vote or you can transfer them to somebody else. And then that process happens for every vote. Once the vote's over, those tokens aren't useful for anything. Um, so that would be the idea. Ah, like ballots, yeah. like voting ballots. Yeah, yeah. My, Kelly, my, I would I would say it is similar to the to to the opt out option the vault discussed, but ultimately what it is doing is it's giving options to the protocol. So the vault would have more options in terms of how it could exercise uh, its voting power, um, or future vault competitors, or other types of products we're not even imagining. It's basically just taking what's essentially already happening, which is voting power gets delegated by depositing your asset into another protocol that's built on top of Avogachi. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, instead of trying to outlaw something, well, you legalize it and you make it safer and you make it more accessible or whatever. You, 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 try, and, you try and make it so that um, you're basically giving the market to the tools to, if delegation is going to be a feature by default, then we may as well make sure it's a feature that has as much flexibility as possible so that we can have a market of different services that offer different types of ways that, uh, to exercise their voting power. Yeah, Mikey well, uh, J, a very important point. I wonder, um, sorry, Tommy, gotcha. I just want to throw this out and then you can um, jump in. Um, we talk about delegation and, and there is like a, a, a negativity, a positivity to it. But I feel like eventually we are going to see Dow politicians in our Dow, right? How do people feel about that? Because delegation will come into effect when we when we have Dow, Dow politicians in our Dow kind of um, representing large groups of people. Is that something that we want in our Avogadro yeah. Dow? Yeah, I mean, this is a great analogy. Great time to bring up an analogy I recently heard on a podcast, Chainlink podcast, talking about Dow's. Uh, and this guy, he uh, compared DAOs to almost like the like the Earth. So you have like the core of the Earth, you know, it's like the center. You might have very engaged group like DAO members engaged in that little uh, center, and then you have like the mantle, and you have members who are engaged in the discussion around the DAO, but maybe not necessarily directly involved with the DAO decision making. And then you have the crust, and the crust could be like a hundred thousand people, and they're just part of the DAO, but they maybe necessarily don't 
participate in governance. So I could see those like those folks on the outside part of it, like the crust people, you know, they could most likely delegate their power or will most likely delegate their power if they can to someone who they feel is going to be representing their concerns and issues, you know, in the DAO, those mantle members, the core members, you know. Yeah, and, and no no shot at the crust people. I mean, those I'm just referring to the people on the outer edges of uh, participation in the DAO that are the you know voting power holders, but not necessarily utilizing their voting power uh, really well right now. Well, one thought that was was brought brought up about uh, key DAO and bribing and all that kind of good stuff, so is. I think it's very positive if kind of the bribing mechanism as being a derivative product could occur with tokenization of votes because I, I think that would just bring more value to the underlining Avogadji assets that provide that voting power. So I think it's uh, positive for maintaining value or even uh, upper pressure. And then uh, second is to address something that uh, Dr. Wagner said about worried about making voting much more difficult having to claim tokens every time and all that kind of stuff and and me right now in the throes of redoing my taxes and having you know twenty thousand plus transactions and all that kind of stuff is is cumbersome we we could not do an erc20 but just you know have to have to do the analysis of how expensive it would be to capture the data on chain but have it somewhat like friends where it's just a it's just a on-chain record and then having helper methods that just you could transfer your allocation to someone or whatever and it, there is no ERC twenty ERC twenty tokens actually giving to you. So yeah. hopefully to hopefully to not have taxable events of moving actual tokens around, but just having a on-chain record that it's non-transferable except for a particular helper method, basically. So I think there's ways around it. Yeah. I mean, the way I was envisioning it, and I I think this might be pretty easy to implement at the smart contract level, but, you know, uh, probably want Dan's input on that. But you have 10,000 ghosts worth of voting power. You now have, uh, you know, 10,000 and go over there and you would deposit the other half and now you would have half in one pool where you actually believe in how you're going to be represented and you're even going to take the other half and maybe um you're going to essentially monetize it. Uh, do you see anything wrong with something like that? Well, also remember it's per vote. So, and your your voting power is the snapshot of when the vote was created. So let's say there's 20 votes in the hopper, then and you have 5,000 uh, ghost voting power, then you have 5,000 for those 20 votes, and that you could transfer your voting power per vote to whoever you wanted to. That kind of thing. I think that that's the um, important thing to remember that it's per vote and a snapshot needs to be captured per vote 
just you want to throw yeah. that in there. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I also wonder how much voting power uh, based on our assets is actually being utilized uh, in terms of a percentage. I don't have the data point, but it'd be interesting to know. Well, uh, that brings up, uh, brings up, uh, reminds me, I created a DAO thread on how to calculate uh, voting power. Like what are all the queries and stuff that are involved so that we could kind of check some balances uh, with when the new uh, WAP ghost and uh, liquidity pools come online, we can have a kind of a clearer idea of how someone could go and check all the queries and, and make sure it matches up with the snapshot. And uh, Jared uh, posted the snapshot queries. So I need to go through that and kind of diagnose that. But you have a good point in that it's very complicated to calculate your voting power, at least for me, for right now, I haven't dove into it because, you know, you, you have your liquidity pools, you have your ghosts, then you have your wearables and, you know, so it kind of compounds. And so having a, a clear, yeah, having a clear way to figure out what your voting power is so that you can uh, check it against snapshot just to make sure, I think is very important. And with this, this new way of tokenizing per vote, it'll be very easy to see because, you know, all, all the queries are right there. Yeah, thanks, Arcor. Yeah, I agree with that. So um, I think we should keep having a conversation around this because it's uh, we're going to get to a point where it actually we do have something comprehensive that we can maybe have a uh, um, if the community is in, in agreement with, we can have something actionable we can implement at some point because we're, we're going to see the evolution of the DAO. So we should have these conversations as the DAO is evolving uh, because we're going to be moving towards eventually district DAOs, uh, sub DAOs, and almost a fragmentation of the DAO that we have now, you know, multiple parts representing the DAO now. And so, you know, I think, having conversations around increased flexibility is going to be uh, always welcomed. Like as we're, as we're, um, uh, as we're growing as a DAO. Uh, Mikey J, thank you for sharing your um, kind of input on that. Uh, I definitely kind of share your sentiment of uh, creating more flexibility as far as delegation goes. And, um, you know, uh, I'll keep participating in that forum, too. And if we can come up with some concrete solution to have this voting power represented in a way where it would be transferable and uh, still maintaining our security as a DAO, uh, you know, we should we should definitely keep drilling to, drilling in on that. Um, do you have any last uh, thoughts, uh, Mikey J, or anyone else here up on stage right now in regards to, uh, you know, proxy voting? I, last thing I would say, you know, and just to just to keep the conversation going throughout the week, you know, I, I'm not a student of crypto governance systems, um, and I know there's a lot of people here maybe know a lot more about this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, if anyone else has participated in other protocols that have you know, this kind of similar system that we've been talking about today, um, you know, if you just feel free to take the reins and, you know, throw in your two cents and participate in the thread. So maybe we can, we can sort of come up with a system with some more concrete details so we can have a, 
another discussion around it once we once we have a more concrete idea of what what this kind of system might look like and what it might mean. Yeah, well, I, I, I still throw it out there for uh, district sub DAOs. Be a great kind of proving ground. Yeah, I agree. That'd be great proving ground for sure. Uh, Coder Dan, in my opinion, Shidao's bribing system makes good sense for a pure DeFi protocol, but isn't necessarily right for a DAO focused on game mechanics. Okay. Uh, Coder Dan, when you say uh, for game mechanics, what's well, I'm, this might be a lot to type for you because uh, the whole uh, communication issues, but what would be the downside of a bribing uh, kind of system brought into a game you know, game mechanics focused DAO. Like, what would be the downsides? Uh, just because I don't necessarily understand what could go wrong. Uh, Dr. Wagney, there is somebody with 50 milks. <laughs> I, I don't know if they're trying to make it. Okay, so yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. So if if I wanted, if we wanted to make a unilateral decision or something like some big change to affect just part of the game for certain players to break the balance, this could be a side effect. This could happen if we if we gamified. Yeah, there could be some crazy adjustments, but also as a DAO, we also have like multiple layers of screening. Like, you know, if if some suggestions BS, we don't even bother talking about it um, up well, here. We briefly I, mention it sometimes, and then go over it. You know, unless it's worth talking about. Well, this uh, this this brings up a point of limited limited context or a limited effect. So, sub DAOs would have a very limited effect on game mechanics because it would only be in the only in the DAO of the district that the DAO represents. Now that's that's why I think it would be a great uh, proving ground. I, I think talking about it from a Avogadro DAO perspective, I think is a bit too much. It's like a bridge too far, and the checks and balances are super important that we that we have in place currently. Whereas you know there's a SIPROP, core prop, and then Pixel Crab needs to do some some work, and there's a there's a lot of gates in the chain. Uh, but sub DAOs, if we want it to be on chain, I think tokenization is is a strategy to to look at. Yeah, and also Dan makes a good point. Once everything's on chain, we'll have to worry about fifty one percent attacks. We still have, very much have this uh, human element in our DAO where. We can talk about things and, and debate if something's even worth uh, moving forward on. Uh, you know, in the past, there have been SIG props that have been uh, people have put up without any discussion and um, tried to have um, unreasonable suggestions to what we could do in the game. And oftentimes we briefly discuss it and then move on. So we still have that ability. We can always exercise that ability if we as a DAO feel like something that was pushed through as a SIG prop uh, without any discussion or reasonable debate was, you know, shouldn't be implemented. So we still have that filter. Um, and then so until then, until the smart contract fully on chain 
implementation, we we can still exercise that um, in addition to our voting power. And also, I will say a good debate and making some great points is of swaying voting power in itself. You know, in the DAO, if you're able to create an argument that's strong enough, that's able to actually change someone's opinion on, um, you know, their state of uh, opinion on a specific topic, that in itself, in my opinion, is worth voting power, you know, through just dialogue. Um, it's kind of an intangible, completely intangible, but you know, something I consider as well. Yeah. And so I also put up a, a, an article there, Chainlink blog article on uh, DAOs and Web3 governance. It's a nice, it's a nice, well put together article on kind of what we're talking about and uh, talking about governance in general. So yeah, that's, that's something to, to, to have a look at there. Um, if we don't have anything else to touch on right now for uh, governance, we could uh, talk about uh, potentially eye traits. I don't know. Do we have time for that? I guess we're over our hour now. Uh, I would have liked to talk about it, but depends if you guys want to. Uh, if you guys want to touch on that, let's touch on it. Let's okay. go. All right. Let's. Uh, Hardcore, drop the uh, the Miro board you've been working on for eye traits because I know you got a whole separate one for this. And I'll get the thread here for that as well. It's been a pretty good discussion. Uh, I've been kind of just reading along and uh, offering a few insights. But. Thank you, sir. And the eye traits, we have discussed in great length all the other uh, traits. There was like a very deep discussion around that, and we do have some consensus around what the other four traits are. Eye traits are still very much uh, unknown. Um, and so we kind of should talk about this as a DAO and look at what was proposed initially and also now what we could potentially implement. And there are uh, a few different good solutions that people have put forward. Uh, some have more utility, some have more uh, aesthetic appearance. I think the sentiment from Dan in general was with eyes, the, uh, they are uh, a trait based on rarity, but also it is some sort of a, a flex. Uh, and so having rare eyes, the, the value of uh, rare eyes is speculative, has been speculative based on the, the scarcity of, of the actual eye trait. And so that's the current, that's the current, um, I guess you want to call it like value people are attributing to that. But the one issue I had with the just purely visual flex aspect was... Um, they, the the eyes aren't necessarily represented very well in the Gachiverse, just with the nature of how the gameplay is. You know, zoomed out 25, 30%, you can no longer actually tell uh, any visual difference apart from color with the eye shapes. And it would be cool for them to be a little, you know, represented a little bit better. Uh, I know we also have uh, some peeps who have put forward some great battle uh 
battle mechanics or uh, utility mechanics for, for eye traits. So um, first, before we get into it, I guess, does anybody have anything to touch on specifically for what they think on eye traits? Uh, anybody up here on straight, on stage, how, how you're generally thinking of it? Well, it seems like there's been a lot of a lot of uh, cool ideas, and uh, in the aesthetic realm, and I definitely like the idea of not making them a power in the in the Gachuverse, and so the you know laser eyes shooting out there is an aesthetic, or having them uh, the myth uh, for mythicals for mythical eyes, either color or, or shape having it somewhat visible to other gachis, no matter what kind of eye wearable is being, is being worn and as kind of a flex, but keeping it in the flex realm makes, makes it complete set makes complete sense to me. Um, I'd make the argument that we actually saw the first utility for double myth eyes in the last snapshot. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't the winner the first time the winner was determined by a gachi that had that extra boost from the, the double myth eyes. Yeah. For being yeah. specific. Well, I think that one was um, that the the BRS for one and two were very similar, and if they had the same wearables, then it, the myth eyes would have put it over the top. I think. Yeah. The, the myth the myth eyes really changed that because you can see at the start BRS the difference and then you can see how like being able to manipulate the other ones without being able to manipulate the eyes you know so having those high eyes also you know when you make that pull those two eye traits are part of the six pulls you know what i mean that make up your gachi so i don't understand why they wouldn't have any utility really you know or any you know any any part of the game you know i mean at least increase what your you know weapons do and different things like that at least or different things like that right yeah i can highlight some of the ideas that um kind of jumped out um uh, that was that was interesting to see with rarity farming to see that the double myth eyes pushed that gachi just past where the other one wasn't able to quite reach because of that and that was pretty interesting um but in regards to you know like gameplay, there were you know there is that's there's two like main arguments and then there's different suggestions in you know underneath each one. The two arguments are you know uh, adding utility that is kind of like a soft utility in the Gachiverse and wouldn't necessarily be uh, directly related to PvP. And then the other one was uh, purely aesthetic but improve the actual aesthetics in the Gachiverse uh, for, you know, representation of those, of the different eye types. I definitely think the eye should matter a little more than not just mm -hmm. because you know, it's part of the original pull. It's part of the whole Gachi. If it, if it doesn't do anything like with the PVP or whatever, I think it should at least increase what you hold. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it can like, boost things change things up you know what i mean depending on where it's at yeah. maybe we also have to think of the meta where the meta for the other four traits is going to be quite flexible in terms of your xp you know uh i believe for each xp level that you've 
achieved, you're going to be able to get uh, three points, in-game points, towards your, your modifying your traits. That might change, but I think that's the way I heard Coder Dan say it before. So all those traits are going to be fairly modular, and especially if we get respec potions, if we get the respec potions, we can see a lot more flexibility in the meta of the four traits. Um, as you know, gameplay evolves, people will be able to shift around their traits um, based on uh, what the most ideal setup would be for that time. Uh, the, the eye traits, they won't change. So in my opinion, the eye traits should not necessarily be directly related to PvP. So in terms of like damage per second or increasing defense, I don't think those would be the most appropriate for the eye traits, only because it would um, extend maybe an unfair advantage to people who have uh, high eye traits, and that, that advantage would be there to stay. Uh, which, I mean, it could be interesting because you would see a huge uh, re revaluing of gachis in the market based on probably certain specific eye traits. Um, but I think in general, you know, in terms of fairness and competition, avoiding PvP utility for eye traits would um, probably be um, favorable, like it would be ideal. But that's just my opinion. Uh, there's also no harm in implementing it during this testing phase because we are early. And if someone does have a good enough idea regarding PvP and we feel like uh, it's worth testing, we're very much in an experimental phase for traits. And, you know, I'd like to know what Coder Dan's input is on that. But, um, you know, having an arena turned on for a week with some cool PvP traits for eyes might just give us a little bit more insight in how that would work. Um, you know, how fair or unfair it would actually be with the advantages and would it really make a difference in PVP? Um, that would give us a little bit more data on that. And so I don't have like a fully fleshed out opinion on it. I'm just speculating that maybe immutable traits might not be the best for PVP because PVP uh, his traditionally uh, has a changing meta you know some games it changes a lot slower other games like um you know uh with axie infinity the 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 meta would change every couple of weeks so it's like you always had to reskill re, you know rebuild your teams and it, you're constantly shuffling around trying to figure out what the best uh where people aren't looking and where you can gain that advantage that's part of it so um there was also a mention of quests and how uh, quests could be implemented around different eye types uh, in the grid. But, you know, that's a later game mechanic that could be implemented, uh, which is another thing to add for eyes, is that um, you could really layer on the use cases for eyes. You could start with a more general use case that's maybe not directly related to gameplay and is purely aesthetic, and then always add additional utility as we see fit. Um, that could also be another place to start off. Let me just read some of these comments. Uh, hardcore, we can do eye, eye color as sprint trail color, eye shape as the pattern. And that was the suggestion I'd put out also, uh, or someone had, and I agreed with them. Uh, I think... I'm a huge fan of that 
uh, you're increasing the visibility of the gachi, and you're also increasing that uh, that flex related to the eyes. You might see for the more rare eye types might have a more aesthetically appealing um, trail with pattern kind of thing. And it would be the trail with the pattern that would be desired in the gachiverse uh, while you see people running around because the eyes are not that noticeable. So they would just be represented a different way. Well, I like the, the suggestions uh, somewhat of changing the uh, gachi glow. If you have a double myth, maybe it's, it looks like a flame and it uses the mythical color. That would be pretty cool flex. Oh, I guess that's a third thing to consider is do we want something kind of special and exclusive for double myth eyes, either in terms of uh, a visual flex or in terms of, you know, specific gameplay? Is there... Is there a feeling towards uh, double? Because I mean, the market's valued it that way. But is there a feeling amongst uh, the community that the double myth eyes and you know, I'll say I, is I try to be neutral on it because I I do own a double myth eyes, so you know, um, not trying to be biased. But you know, from in general, do people feel uh, like the double myth eyes should have something kind of special? That's been mentioned many times, right? So. Well, I can just imagine, you know, if there's a gachi gang hangout in the in the gachi verse, and a gachi is like on fire, like is their aura, and it's just like snapping and popping and all that kind of stuff. That would be just fucking bananas. Oh, that would be cool. Would you enable that as an animation that could be turned off by the end user? Because imagine a person with a crap computer, you know, a double myth eye gachi walks on their, you know, screen and now their whole shit is lagging because they can't handle, you know, the animations. Ah, true, 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 true. Yeah, maybe it could be turned off with, uh, you know, it could be the same uh, toggle that they use for the Spirit Force, the, the glow aura. Yeah, got, gotcha glow. Yeah, it could be the same toggle for that. A good consideration. I like Moon's point as well. You know um, that the double myth eyes could potentially have you know a very unique appearance because it's purely visual and doesn't really affect gameplay. It's just uh, a little bit of a flex for those uh, eye types. Uh, and you know, I, I'd like to know Coder Dan's opinion on this. If you have something like this, purely aesthetic, visual but very exclusive at the top. You know, you have this very small percentage of double myth eyes that, like you were saying, have this flame animation around them. Would that in turn make the subsequent ones underneath that follow a specific pattern of value? Would no, like the rare ones be, you know, would the rare ones be valued a little closer to those double myth eyes and then the uncommon a little bit close like you know would those other eye types get it ordered in terms of value just because the double myth eye has this special ability or would we would we have to add like scaled down aesthetic appeals to each tier of rarity you know that's something i've been thinking about well how many double myth eye gotchas are there I think there's less than 300. There's like 280 or something like that. Do you know concentration ownership? 
because there are, there are stat sites that can tell you like, oh, your gotcha is a one of one or there are only this many. So I'm sure we can look at, you know, number of wallets, like how many people actually own double myth gotchis. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, because uh, we do have some double myth collectors. And uh, I can't see on Fireball GG, unfortunately. I don't think they show the whole ownership uh, array. They just show uh, whatever is available on the bazaar. Um, there might be another tool that I'm not thinking of here. Um, and I know there's another place where you can look at one of ones and more exclusive gachis. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had a double myth. I it was a one of two. Uh, I sold it during uh, after season two to get more gachis because I just didn't see, you know, the utility in it. It's cool. It's a cool flex. And at the time that I pulled the H two portal, it was actually during the GVM, like right after uh, we got our prizes. And when I opened the portal, it was a five thirty five gachi or this double myth I gachi, which was like a four seventy. And everybody was like the double myth I. So I grabbed it. And then afterward, I was like, uh. I probably should have grabbed the 535. Functionally, it probably would have been a better play. But once I guess once we establish this, then that value will be it'll be easy to know. Well, yeah, that's the that's the question. So double myths are valued, and how is that value you know, uh, spec speculation going to show up in the Gachiverse? That's that's kind of what all we need to figure out because if we give a set value, Dan said this, if you give it some kind of functionality in the gotchaverse that's not aesthetic, then that might actually hurt the value of double myths. But if it's a pure flex, then it should maintain the, the market for double myths. So I guess, let me ask, um, because double myths are unique in our ecosystem so far, uh, because it's really one of the only assets where we determined the value. We all said, hey, we're giving this, we're speculatively giving this specific thing value uh in our market if we decide to do that for another item say we all decide that the legendary campfire is the real you know the bee's knees and we want it to do something cool should we as a dow be able to adjust stuff like that is that too far outside of the vision of Pixelcraft? i think with their discretion it should be you know i feel like it should be allowed with their discretion because they also have a vision and we don't want to like go too far off the path with the vision but I see like there could be some lore with double myth eyes. Um, you know, it could be a uh, part of the storyline, specific gachis. Uh, people might build their own quests um, like we've seen with mini games and have special abilities. So it doesn't really end, in my opinion, even if we decided to give a low use case value to the double myth eyes and eyes in general, people will still build and find ways to integrate those. Um, but we need to find out. I, I think the biggest thing with me, uh, in my opinion, is the the eye types are not really represented very well, or the eye colors actually are not even represented very well in like the Gachiverse gameplay currently. So how can we? It is a flex, but how can we make it actually look like a flex? Because right now it doesn't really look like that. Maybe you could um, do something where the Alchemica glimmers a little bit more when you have uh, some kind of myth eye. Also, Johnny C three two one said something that I thought was kind of cool. Could they give combat bonus against just liquidators? So when we're in um, battle with liquidators, maybe you know the double myth eyes can do something of value against these free to play players versus against other players. Like they they're only OP, really OP against uh, you know these players who are using burnable NFTs. 
that's interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, and I guess it allows for those to be valued a bit differently. Uh, an interesting kind of uh, example is for something that had no utility whatsoever but became very valuable in a game was in uh, old school RuneScape. They had party hats. And it was literally just like this one event that happened, or I guess it was an event that happened, and you could get this like firecracker and you would open it. And one of the prizes you could get was a party hat. And like, it's just, it literally looks like, I don't know if anybody has a picture of it, but it literally looks like uh, just a basic looking hat that someone drew. And there was different colors you could get, but there were specific ones that went for like millions of like the in-game currency. Like they became very valuable uh, in the game and they literally had no utility besides being a party hat, you know, but it was That's like a fun. flex. It was like such a flex to see someone down walking down in the game or walking around in like the the wilderness of the game and have like a party hat. You're like, oh shit, that guy's an OG. Like he has a freaking party hat. Well, you know? one th one thing kind of comes comes up is uh, quests are maybe in like loot boxes that are dropped in the Gachiverse that uh, only Double Miss could either open the loot box or go on these particular quests. That would bring essentially value to double double miss without you know giving them giving them some superpower something of that nature so i think there's there's ways of giving double myths value without uh, essentially game behavior modification well, there are eyes seeing better is one of the things that you know could be part of the game you know seeing all the alchemica you know a little better seeing like treasure boxes a little easier stuff like that yeah, I mean, the cap on a flex is pretty much unlimited in terms of how much people want to speculate on it. That's the thing. If you start implementing more uh, utility based on gameplay, it's a little easier to quantify it, and that might actually tether its value closer to what people think. Whereas you have uh, uh, the other downside of the aesthetic appeal of just making uh, it purely aesthetic is you will make the higher eye types more desirable based on the flex, but it'll be mostly that flex will mostly be concentrated near the top, and actually all the other eye types won't necessarily benefit from anything. Um, and in fact, maybe might uh, be hurt by it if their uh, eye shape and eye color doesn't really look aesthetically appealing at all compared to what they have right now with that stream that currently exists. And so that's something to consider. There is if we just go purely visual aesthetic you won't get any increased value and maybe uh, decreased, you know, revaluing of the lower eye type gachis and the higher eye types, the very high eye types uh, would be the ones benefiting the most from that, which is a, it's a small group amongst asset owners. It's like, you know, two, I don't even know how many asset owners there is, but if there's only, you know, a few uh, got uh, double myth eyes, less than 300, then, um, you're really catering to a small group of collectors uh, and not really providing any real benefit to the lower tiers. So um, there, that's that one side of it. And then the other side is the utility side of it where um, you can add utility and maybe everybody will benefit. All the I-types will benefit in some way. But the higher I-types value might be more tethered to the their, you know, how they're quantified in terms of what benefit they're giving rather than a speculative value. 
I think that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Those are the two ways I'm looking at it. Um, not like particularly leaning towards one way or the other, but seeing what you guys are saying here in the chat. Uh, the loot box prize could be transient item, like a party hat that only exists for two weeks, for example. So after the drop, the value would go away unless we kept doing drops in which case special items with face dilution. True. Yeah. I was just, I was just thinking for the party hat. If, if there could yeah. be uh, transient prizes that are just kind of like, Hey, this is just fun stuff. And, and a double myth comes, comes just happens upon a loot box or whatever. It's just kind of like, Hey, cool, fun. All right. That was fun. Moving on. That kind of thing. But it, it might, might not be needed, but I just thought it'd be a fun game mechanic to, you know, pick up, you know, look under a rock and, well, oh, there's a loot box. Oh, I can't open it. I'm not a double myth eye. Well, let me go grab my double myth eye so I can't open it. That kind of thing. Oh, like a lock Are and key kind of mechanic. And maybe people can collab together. And um, that creates a rental demand for certain uh, eye types as well, for sure. Well, uh, also in your, in your guild. So if you've got a guild, you know, and you got just happen to have a couple guys that double missed, then you're you you have opportunities. Hey, if anybody comes along one of these uh, loot boxes that needs double myth or double myth loot box, then hey, let me know. I'll open it up. And we can share it in the guild. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'm just uh, echoing on Matt's sentiment there. Um, you know, he's asking why, why are we just talking about double mythos? I, I think it's a good point. We shouldn't just focus on double mythos for the, around the eye discussion. I think it is definitely a point that needs to be taken care of, right? Cause they're at the top of the whole, uh, chain of rarity for, for eye shape and color, but we should also consider all the other eye types. Cause those are vastly more, uh, there's, there's vastly more of those. Um, and we should definitely make sure that those asset holders are being recognized. Well, that kind of goes into what you were you were saying, Hefe, uh, uh, just a little bit ago about kind of a ranked uh, visualization of the different eye you know, rarities that that do exist. If if there's like uber flex for double myth, then what about you know rare, uncommon, common? You know, how does all that pair together? That's a good question. Oh, Coder Dan kind of has a cool idea. So one, he says, one probably bad idea for eye utility, in addition to whatever flex we give, is that the eyes could function like a rarity drop enhancer, similar to equipping lucky rings uh, in Diablo. So you beat the boss in the dungeon, and you have a higher chance of whatever the drop is. This is really cool because... Even for that specific gachi involved, you might want to get your homies involved, and so you all can get that drop. You know, that's that is something that uh, has happened in other games where it's like, hey, you know what? Make sure you have a double mythize in your group when you go do this quest, because that monster has been dropping like crazy stuff for those double mythize, and you definitely want to be, you definitely want to be around for that. Um, there could be a collaboration incentive there. Or the gachi that delivers the death blow. Is the is the one that the eye rarity is used in the role for the for the loot? Yeah, fair enough. That's an alternative as well. But still, in your party, you're like, okay, hey, you know, boss's health is down to one. All right, double myth, come in, deliver the death blow. 
Yeah, everyone would have to kind of like guard that double mythi because if you if that double mythi gets killed during the battle, or you know whatever rare I got you that you have with you gets killed during the battle, you might end up just with a lower reward. Um, and it was a good point someone else made that a lot of the double mythis are a lower trait, uh, like lower rarity anyway. So it'd be kind of this cool mechanic where you have a tank or a bunch of tanks um, protecting the the valuable I gachi, um, so you guys can get a better reward near the end when the boss dies. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we've had a good conversation around eye traits here. Uh, please uh, continue participating in the eye shape and eye trait discussion. I think we're getting close to somewhere where we can maybe have some actionables, maybe a proposal. Um, I see, Michaelum, you're chomping at the bit for this hackathon. Are you able to come up on stage, sir, and give a little rundown on what the specifics of this hackathon are? I'll sit down and bring him up. Thanks. Oh, hardcore. What up? What up? Okay, they should both be up. Excellent. Oh, perfect. He's hardcore up here. Hardcore is kind of pro on this, and he's just got me wrapped up in the ringer to see the value of it. And so, um, just it's an opportunity for Gachi Gang to find some, essentially, some funding from outside of our ecosystem, um, promote what we're doing here, build some tooling that we desperately need within this. Uh, just, just a lot of cross benefits to it. Hardcore's point on this for sure, but he's convinced me that this is a um, very, very powerful touch point for us as a community right now yeah like the, this is this is beyond synergistic here like w way past synergistic like uh the well when we we first started the arcade we had a hackathon and then from from then until now if you go to morales's site it it, it was how to make avagochi stuff on their their site and so now they have a contest where they're going to pay us a bunch to make that kind of stuff. And, and then for another year, it'll be just Avagochi stuff on Morales. And so, and you know, the question here too is how many. Too. And you know what? Like, so what if you don't like Filecoin? Because when you get done with the hackathon, just mod it to use whatever you did like. After they pay you. And how many how many prizes are being paid out again for this hardcore? Because you were mentioning that basically you have a running 30, a running piece of code at all. It was uh thirty five hundreds. And uh sorry, I went outside to smoke. That's okay. So so it could be yeah. the kind of thing, guys, we're not even trying necessarily to win it. It'd be great to win it, but participation alone is going to be valuable. If you have a running project at all, you're likely going to sweep up one of the 3,500 spots, and it at least gets us an opportunity, some exposure. Um, everyone in here talks about wanting to do things and wanting to affect things. Well, here's an opportunity to really like put put some skills to work, learn some things. If you, even if you're not a pro at this, it's still fun to try. Yeah, check it out. Like I, I'm an absolute hack, and I have I have won these kind of things before. You just, you just, you go with an open mind and you, uh, you look at the, the technology that they're trying to focus on or whatever their little, their little hook is that, uh, you know, that they're locking you into 
and you just combine that with whatever last thing you were really interested in working on was and pretend that you just had that idea right there. And so hardcore, like I think what like in this discussion today and we're about to debut, just just attach it to Filecoin. <laughs> just use Morales and attach it to Filecoin. Boom, you got five hundred bucks. Well, and even just in today's discussion, what do we have? Like two two separate project toolings that came up that are likely candidates for being deployed at Hackathon, right? The on-chain analysis sniffing for botting and then oh, potentially yeah. vote power delegation. Like we have projects we need in this ecosystem that Those we can build and get paid for. I, I, if you can do like anything identity related, anything where you were where you've got thousands sub thousands and you can, and and it's and it's civil proof, and it's got, and it's got uh, delegation where people are intentionally doing it and they know what they're doing, and they can see what happens, and I don't know, and if we solve any of our problems, like there you go. And it's fun because it only lasts like two weeks. So, when does registration close? When do people need to be turned in on this? Uh, let's see. Uh, by September nineteenth, they they announced the they announced what it is on the 29th. So I was thinking, uh, oh, look at look at what all the uh, software software needs of the DAO are. And uh, throw those and out there as ideas for people to have in the back of their mind when they look at the uh, the announcement. I mean, so for current projects that are already in our ecosystem, would they be able to apply for this? You know, say you you're able to use uh, Morales tooling, um, you're able to integrate Filecoin. Are those necessary to participate uh, for you know, or or is this something that you'd have to build so, from scratch? Or when they do the announcement is when you find out what it is. Okay. Yeah, so right now we don't have parameters, like the rules of the of the hackathon yeah, have not been right, released yet. Like the ones I've done before, like you, you sign up and then uh, they're like, okay, so yeah, check in your mail. You got FedEx sent you a thing. Oh, here's an Amazon dot or here's a IO, you know, a 4G IoT kit. Or yeah, there's there's usually some uh, hackathons always coincide with the uh with the launch of a thing. Like, well, the it, first thing you do is have a hackathon, and then they instantly get like some stuff developed, so there's an ecosystem right away. So they're probably um, releasing something because that's why you do this. So yeah, they're going to have something cool, and then you also get to be like, "Hey, I was one of the first people to use that." And yeah. Andy's asking there if we would need to register as a team. And so there's definitely a little bit of coordination probably to be done. Probably in this server's the the best place to aggregate that. So we kind of need to find a place for this chat to keep occurring. Maybe a DAO form spin up. I'm not positive. Where do you think we should aggregate um, interested parties for this so this can continue out of here? Well, I mean, the ATF has already served as a space for these discussions. It could be, um, I think, appropriate to have that in the just ATF general chat. Um, also, there are developers there that are lurking around that are happy to uh, help. Uh, any, any, anything people need. In the very um, less frequently visited Arcade Task Force Discord servers that you're talking about, Hefe? Yeah, let me link it. Let's get oh, some okay. I, I was, all right. 
I thought, yeah, I thought you were saying that the DTF. I'm like, no, this is the opposite of that. They're, we're, we're, we're going after other people's treasuries. This is, this is like some pirate shit. Like for yeah. real, like get together. Yeah, no, I, Let, I let's, go, let's go raid. Yeah. I hear your sentiment on that. Uh, cool. So we'll keep we'll keep everyone updated like, with that as we get closer. If there's like six or seven of, our, of like little groups of us going in there trying to just do one little problem, well, and we're none of us are duplicating. What what, what it's going to end up being is like a it's going to end up looking like a tutorial if you put them in the right order. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it will just get used as oh, this is their stuff. So just be aware it's still in development. It's ongoing. We don't have the parameter specs yet, but this is something to keep on your radar. And we've got so many good dev resources that are budding right now across the ecosystem. So I see like a rep from each one of these power guilds that are currently putting out tooling. And let's let's start forming some teams and at least prepping our minds for this and let's kick some ass. It's very possible. I'd love to throw in an internal event as well. Um, you know, for the future, it's something we can have a conversation, but having some sort of a... Uh, internal uh hackathon kind of what we did for the game jam but open it up uh, to the to uh more ideas um in addition to mini games and have some talent come out of the woodwork and have some some networking and um you know partnerships happening amongst avagachi devs and groups already creating cool stuff well, I'd expect to see you here on this one too, Hefe. And, and if anything, let's go and see how, how they do it on this large scale with this large of a purse and just, just adopt some best practices and we'll carry those back home. Yeah, I, I echo that. I think it's a great idea. Well, um, okay. Uh, so, I, I mean, Hardcore, any last words there before we... Uh, uh, I think yeah, we're going to wrap no, up. I, I, well, I, I, bought the, uh, I bought the pro version of Miro last night and I got a... I, I got to do a whole bunch of stuff, but like I, I can totally keep track of the. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'll set up something so that like devs can organize and like throw throw project stuff out there and start collating, and. Uh, Sounds good. Perfect. Yeah, let's keep it up. It's a good idea, and appreciate well. you being so bullish on it, man. Dan's out of here. Yeah, you got me a believer in the mirror. Oh yeah, you, so here, here's here's okay. This is one of the projects. This is one of the projects. Uh, Ledger is one of the. It's yes, you've got Polygon, Chainlink, Ledger, and uh, so what what you need is the personhood thing I was saying, which lets you say yes, this, the, these two ledgers and uh, this hot wallet and all and also this this uh, Opera wallet over on my phone here too. That that's me, and then the game just sees you as that. And it's transparent to that because it's it's just registered somewhere. Consolidated ID. Yeah. Yeah. There's the cool. third good project. So and yeah, then, let's get that mirror spun up. When you have something like that, then what you do is you make it so that your VP slowly grows, and if if everything transfers to a new person, it it starts back at its, you know its base level for that. So the longer yeah, I mean, you a, the longer you maintain personhood and are you know stand by well this is a person here uh, the, yeah. the longer you stand by that the uh, 
the better it goes for you. Yeah, excellent. Which because the the time lock there on the good behavior, um, is is irreplaceable. You know. Yeah, I mean, let's get these ideas on the mirror board. Really get good till like a year or so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Like terribly slow curve. Yeah, let's let's get these ideas on the mirror board, and then you know we can dig into it a little bit more and get some. Get some something actually actionable uh, happening for this hackathon. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, happy birthday to Faze. It's his birthday today. You go enjoy that, sir. Uh, go touch let's some plan. grass. Let's plan for a better execution of birthday song next week during Summit. <laughs> let's do that. Or Faze, why don't you make yourself a birthday song and then we'll play it. We'll play it for you and then sing you happy birthday. Uh Phase is also going to be one of the artists at our GMI Artist Summit. That's going to be happening next week. If there are any of you in the audience who are uh, creative types, whether it's audio, visual, poetic, uh, whatever, anything creative, uh, definitely go reach out to either myself, Mike Callum, one of the other GMI members, and uh, we can see how we can get you involved in the, in the Artist Summit. So, uh, yeah, that's just my little bit there. That's going to be the 27th. Uh, right after the hangout, that's what we're aiming for, hopefully. And so, yeah, um, that's all I got for this meeting today, folks. Uh, thank you for hanging out with us. It's a great discussion around uh, all our DAO topics. Uh, do you uh, one do you last thing? Yeah, seven p.m. Eastern uh, on Twitter. Seven p.m. Eastern, Gachi Space on Twitter. Um, let's continue the conversation there. Do you all have anything else uh, for this week coming up uh, that you want to uh, put out there before we sign off? Uh, Snapshot on Thursday. Excellent. We're having a party, right? Is it going to be an event like last uh, last Snapshot? I believe it will be a gathering. Um, we'll confirm okay. that. Hey, actually, uh, before before we wrap it up, too, Anthony just reminded me about that. The episode from A to Z is going to be this Tuesday, so that's the program by Zombie Shepherd Noeg Zephi, and that's going to be in the GMI server. We've secured Sam Padilla from the ATX DAO, and so this individual just this last week went before the Texas State Legislature to discuss the future of DAOs and what DAOs are, and how the how states and governments can. Uh, approach um, legislation towards these things so it should be a really interesting topic on just kind of what the state of DAOs now and the future of DAOs so it'll be this coming tuesday 4 30 p.m central standard time hosted in the gmi server great thanks yeah thanks for those reminders and uh, we do have a confirmation there is an xp event on thursday so at least show up for that and make sure you get your your xp and uh, you know, uh, hang out with us. All right, folks. Tuesday is an XP oh. event too, but it's just mental XP. Right. Okay. Right on stuff. Right on, folks. It's great stuff. Um, I got nothing else. Go enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Got your space later tonight. Uh, go touch some grass this week. And that's yeah, that's it. GN, GN, friends. Or GM for some. Peace.